Hey, this is Rob Harder with Making Your World Better, a nonprofit leadership show where real stories from real people who are coming up with real solutions to solve society's biggest challenges. What does it take to be an effective nonprofit leader today? How do people fundraise in an economy that is constantly in flux? How do you relate to board members in a way that inspires them to make a difference? What are the best practices that separate effective nonprofits from others? It is my hope that through these episodes, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear real stories from real leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy this series as together we hear how they're making their world better. Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to the show. You know, today's show is going to be filled with some sobering statistics. Uh, Did you know that on average, nearly 20 people per minute are victims of physical violence by an intimate partner in the United States? During one year, in fact, this equates to more than 10 million women and men. Further, one in three women and one in four men have experienced some form of physical violence by an intimate partner within their lifetime. One in five women and one in nine men have experienced severe physical violence by an intimate partner in their lifetime. And on a typical day, domestic violence hotlines nationwide will receive over 20,000 calls. That is a lot of calls. Now, if this isn't bad enough, during this COVID-19 pandemic, rates of domestic violence have actually increased during this time. Well, my guest today has started a nonprofit out of the pain of her own experience with sexual assault. My guest today is Shannon Henry. Shannon is the president and founder of SASGO. SAS stands for Surviving Assault Standing Strong. SASGO is a nonprofit organization, and it's committed to providing trauma-informed programming designed to reduce risk, to build confidence, and to empower women and girls to protect themselves against threats to their physical and emotional well-being. I really hope you enjoy today's show. Well, Shannon Henry is my guest today. Uh, Shannon, thanks so much for being on the show today. Uh, tell us a little bit about SAS Go. Um, you started this organization. You're the founder and president. And SAS, by the way, stands for Surviving Assault Standing Strong. And it's a very powerful nonprofit. And I'm just so glad I've gotten to know you a little bit, Shannon, and hear more about what you're doing. So talk a little bit about the, the origins of SAS Go. What prompted you in the first place? And why is this such a critical organization for this time? Oh, those are all such great questions, Rob, and I appreciate you having me on your podcast. I'm excited to be here, and I will jump right into this. Um, So, you know, our organization originated um, before I actually came along, and and I'll get into that in a second, but in order to explain how I got um, introduced into the organization, I have to go back to me and um, a time in high school where I was sexually assaulted by um, a boyfriend that I cared for deeply. Um, We had dated for months and months and said, I love you and, you know, went on dates and did all the things that you do. And one particular day, he asked me to stop by his house after school on my way to dance. And I danced competitively. That was my favorite thing to do. And so um, I was on the way there and he asked me to stop by and bring him a soda. And what I thought would be a quick drop-off of the drink and then head straight to dance turned into um, a moment that changed my life forever. It was a sexual assault with the threat of a large knife that was laying beside his table, his bedside table, if I didn't comply with what he wanted me to do. And, you know, growing up, 
I was never told that sexual assault was something that could happen. We didn't talk about interpersonal violence in those days the way that we do now. I'm 40-something, and so um, it was a different time. And I very much, after that, felt ashamed and isolated and alone, and I didn't tell my story for a long time to anyone. Um, and although that shame was certainly not mine to bear, um, because I had done nothing wrong, it still impacted the way that I lived. And I want to stop right there just really quickly and say that nothing we say, do, wear, drink gives anyone right the right to physically assault another individual and therefore commit a crime. But that is exactly what had happened in that moment to me. And like I said, I didn't know that that could happen. And it felt like the carpet was kind of ripped out from under my feet. And so um, you know, one way that I like to explain this to people is that trauma of any kind has major consequences on a person's well-being and their sense of safety and community and their mental health and their ability to trust their own body and their mind, as well as their belief that they can make really good sound decisions. And um, those impacts can be seen from the outside in many people. And if you if you think about a human as a five-gallon drum bucket, like the ones that you see at Home Depot, um, that big orange bucket, and imagine filling it up with lake water and then take a huge rock and write whatever the, the trauma is on it, whether it's an assault or interpersonal violence or um, a scenario that somebody has seen, and then you chunk that rock into that five-gallon drum bucket, it sinks to the bottom and from the outside, you don't see it anymore. You don't see the trauma. But what happens is the water is um, disturbed, right, in the bucket. And so you'll see these ripples go out and in in that bucket. And sometimes they splash out and um, get all over everything. And so those ripples for me, because those are the effects of trauma, look like drugs and alcohol and boys and anything um, in my attempt to kind of self-medicate. Because at 16 years old, you're not you're not equipped to deal with those kinds of trauma, and you don't know how. And unfortunately, the rock stays. You know, um, it stays in the bottom of your bucket. Um, having counseling to help me cope with that rock um, really was imperative, and it was very helpful. And it wasn't for years that I um, spoke to someone about it, and eventually told my parents and. Um, that was very helpful, but there was still this issue of prevention for me. I still didn't want it to happen to anyone else and them have to endure that rock in their bucket if I could help it, but I, I certainly didn't know how. Um, and then as I got married and we started having children, you know, the, the ripples became nightmares about something happening to one of my girls, and, and I have two, uh, or to my son. And so those were things that I thought about. Well, you know, it's such a powerful thing that you're doing because as I've learned more about domestic violence and sexual assault, um, sadly, it is way too prevalent. And I'm, I'm living in Utah. And in Utah, Utah has one of the higher rates of domestic violence and sexual assault, which is super sad. And I'm also, personally, I'm a dad of three girls. And so this issue hits close to home. And so I would, wanted to ask you about, as you've done this, as you've developed this SAS organization, have you seen a connection between what you're offering and the increased awareness around these issues? Issues. Perhaps you could talk to, about that. Um, yeah, you know, I have. And, um, 
you know, I think if we step back a little bit and look at it from a broader lens, you know, not from the angle of SAS, we can clearly see where um, programs like ours are standing on the shoulders of giants that have stepped out bravely to share their own stories. And we can go all the way back to the 70s and look at, you know, women talking about, you know, equality and things like that and then move on into where we are right now and looking at the cases that have come up. Um, people like Gretchen Carlson stepping out to say, you know, to charge Roger Ailes from Fox News with sexual harassment and then the the people coming out behind her to, to share their story as well. Or you can look at, you know, the Dr. Larry Nasser and look at the Olympic gymnastics scandal and how that unfolded or Bill Cosby or Har- Harvey Weinstein. You can look at all these cases that have brought about media attention and really see where um, it makes it a little bit um, not easier. That's not the right word, but it, it helps us to be brave and to understand that this is a um, a communal thing. Um, you know, I, I use this example a lot, but, you know, when there is a natural disaster, lots of people come running in to save the day. You've got, you know, you've got all kinds of, um, like you've got, uh, I'm trying to think right now, Red Cross comes in and FEMA comes in and all of these people come to help save the day. And that's because it's a public event, right? And so what has traditionally been the case is that with sexual assault or interpersonal violence or even human trafficking, those are private. They happen behind closed doors and you're alone and nobody knows unless you speak up. So being able to make women feel, and men, especially men too, feel comfortable to come forward and share um, is something that our culture should should foster. And I think we, we're beginning to do that and we're beginning to see that. But if we shift backwards to talk about how an organization like us feeds into that culture of of fostering um, coming forward if you're comfortable with it and you feel like you want to and looking at resources and helping people to feel strong and confident again and just educating them from a prevention standpoint. You know, we see it all the time because we're on those front lines, not in those big media spotlight cases necessarily, but on the front lines with dads who call and say, I want my daughter in that class because I don't want this to happen to her or moms who say, you know, when I was younger, that happened to me, and I want to make sure it doesn't happen to my daughter. Or, um, you know, I can think about with the women and girls that we train on college campuses that go all over the world once they've graduated, and now they have this new perspective of how they should be treated and um, what are the signs of uh, warning signs before something happens. So they've learned to predict and to prevent these things from happening. Um, they've also learned how to talk to a friend who's been through it, and they've learned the stats. They know the epidemic, and they know um, they know a lot that can be useful within a community, and then they elevate the standard in that community. So, you know, just by making and, and creating this army of people that, that know more and want to do more, we are definitely ensuring that um, the increased awareness is having an effect on the overall initiative to make sure that all of this is eradicated. And I'll I'll close with this, you know, on this question, but um, the word spreads. You know, once you know more, you want to do more. And it's like having the cure for something in your back pocket, and you just really want to share it with everybody because it feels selfish to keep it to yourself. But I had a mom that came and brought her daughter, 
And we had a blast. Everything was good. Everybody left. And about two weeks later, um, you know, I saw, and, and we talked about it immediately thereafter, but there was this big article in the paper about a woman who had been running at the beach and a man who had just gotten out of prison for murder um, and had done things like this before had grabbed this woman. And it just so happened to be the woman who brought her daughter to my class. And she escaped him. And she said, I used everything I learned in my daughter's class to get away. I used my voice and I asserted myself and I ran as fast as I could, making sure that I was making a scene and getting to safety and, and, you know, doing all the things that I needed to do. But everything that I did in that moment to save my own life, I learned in that little girl's class. Oh my goodness. That is such a powerful story. I mean, honestly, number one, I'm so glad that she got away, but what a powerful story for you of what you offer. I mean, that's exactly what you want uh, people to leave with. And ironically it was with her, her daughter's class, but she still picked up enough to, to help her out and, and, keep her safe. I mean, that's powerful. Thank you for sharing that. You know, it was interesting. I'm guessing for my listeners, particularly those who listen here in Utah, about a year and a half ago, a University of Utah student athlete, Lauren McCluskey, was tragically killed. And I know for people around here, uh, not just in Utah, but really that, that got national news and national attention. And it was just such a senseless and awful crime and really a nightmare for every parent who sends their daughter to college. And I understand that a friend of Lauren named Mesa went to one of your trainings and I understand really found some healing and help that has helped her cope with that tragedy. Maybe you could talk a little bit about Mesa's story and and what kind of impact did your training and classes have on her? That is such a heartbreaking story. Um, You know, uh, I was called in, our organization was called in after that unfolded and um, were asked to train the students, faculty, and staff at the University of Utah. Um, And we spent a couple of days there um, just training them and looking at prevention, but also teaching them self-defense skills and things like that. And it was was a beautiful time um, to be there and to offer hope and um, really look at the way that the student body and the faculty came together to empower one another to, um, and to heal and so or to try to heal right because no matter what like I said that rock is still there and so um, that was great and it was I was sitting there um, and people were coming in and this I was sitting in the back as as my colleague was was teaching from the front and um, this girl walks in and she said hey do I sign in here and I said yeah go ahead and sign in and she said I'm sorry I'm late I said no big deal and, um, you know, I, I, I believe in God deeply and, um, you know, I heard this little voice and I recognized it and, um, the little voice said, give her a shirt. And we had made these shirts that said stronger because of you. And it was really, you know, University of Utah calls itself the you. And so it was really a nod to Lauren. Um, I was also glad to be there and be invited by the you. So it was just this culminating shirt. And so, I hadn't planned to give those away, but I said, okay, well, I'll, I'll give her the shirt. So I gave her the shirt, and she said, oh, thanks so much. Is everybody getting these? I said, no, I just feel like you're supposed to have one. And she said, oh, thank you. And she said, do I sign right here to sign in? And I said, yes, and if you're in a sorority, sign right there as well. And she said, I'm not in the sorority. I'm on the track and field team. And when she said that, my heart just sunk because I knew what that meant. I knew that that meant that she was you know, directly impacted in a major way. 
everybody else was too, but this was so big for her, I assumed, you know. And um, so I told her to, you know, have a seat, and, and we were excited that she was there. But I had felt a draw to this passionately the entire time before I got there. So I wondered what was going to happen in that moment. And Mesa sat through the training, and, you know, she thanked us afterwards, and she left, and she came back later for the self-defense course, and she went through that. And it was about a week later that I got a call from her, and um, she said, you know, I can't learn what I just learned and not want to give it to everybody. And I was like, I know that voice. (laughs) I know that feeling. And she said, I don't know what I can do to help forward the mission or, you know, impact other people with it. She said, but whatever it is, I want to do it. And so she was about to graduate, and um, we just happened, (laughs) by coincidence, we'll say, um, have an an instructor training coming up, and it was in Salt Lake City. And so um, she talked to her track coach because she was also headed off to um, the – the big, um, I forget what it was, but it was a big um, event that they were having, and plus with graduation, and but it all worked out, and they made some arrangements to make sure that she was there at instructor training, and she passed with flying colors, and now her mission is to do every single class in Lauren's honor, and she does it so beautifully. We are sponsored by Cinch Web Services, your best choice for WordPress support. We have a special offer for those who listen to this show. Cinch is the best choice you can make for WordPress and WooCommerce support. They are experts at solving all sorts of website issues, from big problems like fixing a completely broken site, to the tiniest of details that are stumping you. Cinch offers an ongoing support plan starting at $99 a month, which covers all mandatory website maintenance tasks, plus 30-minute fixes for free. I personally use Cinch for my websites, and I can say that the support and expertise I've received from them is top-notch. They're great to work with, and I no longer need to worry about the health or status of our websites because Cinch is there for us. And here's the best part. You can get 50% off your first month of support at cinchws.com slash nonprofitleadership, and just use the promo code LEADERSHIP during checkout. Once again, that is cinchws.com slash nonprofit leadership and use the promo code leadership for 50% off your first month of support. We want to thank Cinch for sponsoring our show and for being a reliable support team that we can trust. Hey everybody, Rob here. Thanks so much for listening to the Nonprofit Leadership Show. If this is your first time listening to us, I wanted to make sure you were aware of a whole group of other interviews with fascinating guests that I've previously interviewed. Just go to our website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org, and there you'll find numerous interviews of nonprofit leaders from all over the country, even from different countries, all trying to make their world better. I think you'll really enjoy those interviews. We want to give you more content, and we'd like to get that information to you. And all you have to do is give us your email. When you go to that website, you can put your email address in that first box you'll see on the front page, and you'll be added to our monthly email update. In addition to some great content, you'll see the latest uh, podcast shows. It'll be actually sent right to your inbox. And that way you'll never miss any of the great content on this show. The other thing I'll mention to you is if you have questions or comments or you'd like to be on the show, do not hesitate to email me. I'd love to hear from you. Just do that through our website, my email, rob at ccofpc.org. Well, thanks again for listening. Now back to the show. 
Well, again, another powerful story, and I think a lot of people that were very familiar with the Lauren McCluskey story will really resonate, I think, with Mesa's story and then how you've helped her, again, move forward and find healing. And as I think about your organization, from what I've read, your organization has grown fairly quickly. Uh, so congratulations. Um, talk about why you believe that your organization and the classes and trainings you provide have so resonated with people. Like, what's your, quote, secret sauce? So when we're thinking about our secret sauce, um, and I do love that question, um, I know that that if I were to have to boil it down to a few words, I would say it's word of mouth. Um, It's a mom talking to another mom. It's a dad sharing with another dad. It's a college student sharing with another um, college student or a sibling. And it really has grown by word of mouth. As a matter of fact, we have never paid for any marketing ever, and um, and yet it has grown exponentially, especially since we started the nonprofit. And um, you know, sometimes people will come our way that that just blow our socks off because they are um, so passionate about what we're doing. One of those people you and I both know um, well, um, Commissioner Key Squires, and Commissioner Squires um, heard about us from someone and and flew out here to the University of South Carolina where I was teaching a class and he traveled with me all day and really saw um, how it worked on college campuses, but also how it worked. Um, we were teaching at an elementary and a middle school that day. And also that night we were teaching a group of women who were 40 and above. And so he traveled to all of those classes with me. And then he went back to Utah and said, you know, this is the program that I'd like to see um, within our state. And so from there, we started our training out there, and um, we have several instructors in Utah, which is wonderful. But even from that, you know, from that instructor training, um, we had women come that now are training people in Colorado and California and, like I said, in Wyoming. Um, And so we have them all over now, just from that one person, you know, really investing the time to say, hey, let's do this thing and let's set up a place to have an instructor training and and um, it, and it's beautiful. So it's grown by other people really is the only way that I can say that. There's really no secret sauce other than um, word of mouth and that we share power, love, knowledge, and hope in every class. And that speaks to what people need as well as the prevention education for you know, something that's definitely um, an epidemic in our in our culture. We often talk about what does it take to keep an organization running? Well, fundraising is always at the end of the day at the core of it in the sense that if you don't have money to fund your programs, you can't keep going. So maybe you could talk a bit about that because I know a lot of my listeners are always uh, wanting to know how do I keep my organization going? Or maybe they're thinking about starting a nonprofit, much like what you've done here. Um, I think then one other piece I want to add to that is we're living in this COVID-19 world and I think fundraising and development will become even more challenging simply because a lot of people, all of their saving has been wiped out. Um, A lot of people have lost their jobs. Uh, They may not have the money they used to have to support nonprofits. So talk about your funding model, if you would, and do you anticipate a need to change your model because of COVID-19 right now? No, I appreciate that question. And um, if if this can help anyone out there, I think we all need to band together to try to figure out how to do this well, with a sympathetic um, heart as we as we go. Um, so, you know, at the core of 
of why we became a nonprofit, it, it, um, it really boils down to the fact that we believe that every woman and girl needs this training and that we want to make sure everyone receives this training. And, and so that's, that's critical to us and that's important. Um, I already told you the statistics, but when you look at how people navigate those statistics, um, you can quickly, uh, I like to relate it to um, almost like a storm. So if you think of um, the epidemic of violence and abuse and trafficking against women and girls as a storm and you look at how they go through the storm, um, some people are in yachts, you know, and bear in mind that doesn't make the storm any easier, right? You're you're still going through the storm and you're still having to navigate it. But some people are in yachts as they navigate it. And then you have people who um, maybe are in a rowboat and the waves are big and they feel like they're crashing in on them and they're just trying their best to get through it. But then you have some people that are literally on driftwood and barely hanging on. And we want to make sure that we bring that programming to everybody wherever they are, whether they're in a yacht or a rowboat or they're hanging on by a piece of driftwood. But where our, um, where our funds really focus their energy are on making sure that everyone has it and especially the people that are on the driftwood and in the rowboats that can't necessarily afford to do this kind of training but want it for their community or for themselves or their organization. So, um, you know, part of the way um, that we do that is um, not only through, you know, fundraising efforts, but also our instructors give 10% of the money that they they get within their classes, their enrollment fees, comes back to the nonprofit. So they actually pour back into um, what we do because they believe so strongly in it. So that money goes directly to support anybody that needs a scholarship to take the class. And so that's, that's a beautiful thing. But when we're looking at COVID-19, our classes are shut down right now, you know, and so it makes it hard to have that other component, um, available to us that, that help to nurture everything that we do. Um, and we are a relatively new nonprofit, so when you think about having this broad list of donors, that's not necessarily our case. However, we have watched just we had Midlands Gives here um, not too long ago on Giving Tuesday, and we were able to bring in over $18,000 during that time because the people that have poured in or taken the classes, they love it, and they want to see it thrive and go. And so we're encouraged by those things. I think it was really helpful to have – a community effort like we have here in Columbia, South Carolina of Midlands Gives where you are still being sensitive to the fact that, the, you know, just like you talked about, people have lost their jobs and their savings and things like that, but that there's a community effort to give to those nonprofits that you feel passionate about. That really helps. So I would encourage people to look for those opportunities. Um and, you know, the other thing is that, um, you know, we're not fully funded right now. We have three full-time employees of our organization, myself included, and we were not paid in 2019. And although we're hoping to start funding our salaries in 2020, um, you know, it's, it's something that we have to really look at in light of the pandemic. And I know that we're passionate about what we do and focusing on making sure that it gets into the hands of everybody that needs it. So, 
we're willing to adapt and believe strongly in the power of other people and what they're capable of doing. And we're considering ways to reformat aspects of our program to be offered virtually so that we can offer training from a distance. Um, and we're doing that in some cases, and it's, it's been really great. But uh, we're just continuing to develop and adapt our fundraising efforts, as I sure, I'm sure everyone else is. And we'll continue to do that moving forward as an organization. Well, my guest again today has been Shannon Henry. Shannon is the president and founder of SAS Go. SAS stands for Surviving Assault Standing Strong. Shannon, if my listeners want to learn more about you, what you are doing, how they can find out more about maybe how they want to support your nonprofit. You mentioned that. Uh, that's something, again, that's the reality of every nonprofit is they need support. So if they would like to support you and find out more about you, where would you send them? I would send them to our website, which is sasgo.org. So that's S-A-S-S-G-O.org. Um, and I tell them, just look around, look at, look at what's there and, you know, pick up the phone and give us a call if they have any questions. Um, we love being part of the, you know, the, the country and, and spreading everything that we're doing throughout the country. And Utah has been such a big part of that. And, you know, I, for a long time, I was out there so much that I called it my second home. And um, there are such great stories of resiliency and hope right there within that community. And we are so grateful for the way that that has um, launched us into other states and other communities. So um, I would suggest that they go to our website, check it out, give us a call. We are always um, happy to talk to anyone. And we're just so grateful to have had this opportunity to be here and speak to your audience, Rob. I can't thank you enough. Well, Shannon, thank you for all that you're doing to empower girls and women and to help them find healing, specifically because of domestic violence or sexual assault. You're doing great work, important work. So thanks for being on the show today. I wanted to let you know that we are on iTunes. If you are wondering how to find out where we are, check us out on iTunes by typing Nonprofit Leadership Podcast or Rob Harder, and this podcast should show up. We also encourage you, when you go on iTunes, let us know what you think. Give us a review. Give us a rating. We would love to hear what you think of this podcast, and your feedback will help us expand this podcast to get it out to as many people as we can. You can also go online to listen to this podcast, either nonprofitleadershippodcast.org or my website, robharder.com. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep making your world better. Thank you.